good to be back uh, uh, on this side of the pond. And uh, April and I had a, a wonderful trip over in the United Kingdom. And uh, I just want to share with you very quickly what an incredible opportunity that our church has to partner with missionaries like Ross and Dina Frierson. Uh, last Sunday, we went to their, uh, to their services, and they meet in a, in a pretty small building that was actually given to them by uh, the Baptist Union. And if I'm not mistaken, that, that's a, a, a liberal uh, <clears throat> uh, religious organization in the United Kingdom, but they were gifted an entire building. And uh, of course, Chuck and Venice have been there and helped to remodel certain aspects of it. But what was uh, incredible to me was that the city there, the part of the city that they're in is uh, no one would want to really live there, you know, to be honest. It's, it's a place for refugees. It's, it's a place for those that have been sex trafficked. Uh, it's economically depressed. And on that Sunday morning, there was almost 100 uh, people that were in services that morning. And uh, they were able to baptize a teenage girl uh, during the services that day. Amen. <clears throat> and what I found that was fascinating, there was a couple of things. The first one was this, is that young woman got up in front of the entire church and she had written out her personal testimony of faith and what she had done to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. And so for you know, several minutes, she got up and, and gave a word uh, and shared how she came to know Christ as her Savior. And I was just so impressed by that and certainly impressed by the work that Ross and Dina are doing there. And, uh, and I'm thankful for a church that believes in missions and a church that allowed my wife and I to go and uh, really... <clears throat> It really makes you to evaluate what's uh, important in life and what's important in ministry. Uh, the, other, the other incredible thing about the trip is we had a, a lot of fun with Ross and Dina and got to see the church. But the Sunday that we were there, they had International Lunch Sunday. And so uh, I just thought that was incredible. We had curry chicken, Irish potatoes, du Asian dumplings, because they have a, a, a multicultural church. And so, uh, boy, they know how to do potluck over there. And so I was just super uh, thrilled about that. Now, we're in Psalm 100 this morning. And I'd like to read the text before we get started today. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. And it is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, in the month of November, we typically begin to think, as Derek mentioned already this morning, how thankful we are, or at least we like to think about how thankful that we should be. But why do we only typically do that for a month? Why is it that we only set aside one month of the year to give thanks? I certainly like to think that I'm thankful, but I lean more towards complaining and criticism. In fact, it's one of those sins that we tend to excuse away in life. It's, it's what Jerry Bridges would call the respectable sins. We complain and we grumble and, and, and we pass by and, and we certainly don't consider how our lack of thanksgiving and our lack of gratitude has an impact on our relationship with God. Now, I've noticed in a general sense or that there is this general sense in our culture today, specifically here in the U.S., there's a general sense of unrest and unthankfulness in many of our lives and and we really do. Many of us struggle to live a life of gratitude and a life of thankfulness. I believe there's many reasons for that today, and I certainly don't want to dive into that this morning. Uh, we could talk about consumerism. We could talk about comparison. Uh, we could talk about all those different things. But 
At the end of the day, our default is to grumble. We tend to grumble. We typically look at things and, and, and we complain. We do that because we're entitled and we expect to be treated a certain way. And, and when things don't align with our plans, we complain. And, and I want you to know this morning that, that our complaining, and you might write this down today, our complaining is a repellent to God. Our complaining, our complaining is a repellent to God. Now, let me ask you this this morning. Have you ever taken it for granted? Has, have you, has anyone ever taken you for granted? You see, I certainly don't like being taken for granted and not appreciated. I want you to think just for a minute. Imagine how our God feels when we complain about how awful our life or our situation is when He is and has blessed us in so many ways. We live in a world where we're low on gratitude, high on grumbling, and our grumbling has a way of crippling our faith in God. And so the big idea this morning is this. Gratitude in God is the key to a life of goodness. Gratitude rooted in God is the key to a life of goodness. We have no idea how much of, a, of an impact our gratitude and praise has on those around us and on our relationship to God. This truth could transform us in ways that we never imagined, but we begin, you and I, we begin by giving thanks. We begin by learning what it is to be thankful and what it is that we're truly thankful for. And in our text, we find that we're not only commanded to give thanks, but that there's this power. There's a power. There's a, a transforming power, if you will, in the life of the one who gives thanks. And especially when that thanks is directed towards our sovereign God. The writer of Psalm 100 not only challenges us to praise God, but he gives us comfort in our praise. Because as Derek already mentioned this morning, life can be a bit challenging. Life can be a bit difficult. There's suffering that's involved in this life. In fact, life is hard. Life is hard. But God is better and more worthy of our praise. There's power in praise. There's grace in gratitude. There's depth in declaration. And I believe that if we spent more time living in thankfulness and gratitude, we would not only experience more joy, but more of God's power. And you may struggle, as I do, to give thanks to God. So instead of looking on all the stuff in life that's a struggle, we can look to, to a God that is sovereign and we can find a way forward that's transforming us. Listen to this. We can find a way forward that's transforming us in a way that sustains us, that sustains us in this life. And so giving thanks, and I want to begin with this this morning. Giving thanks in verse number one, reflects an inner attitude. It reflects an inner attitude. Giving thanks reflects an inner attitude, but it isn't an attitude that's been in, but it, but it, but it is an attitude, if you will, that has been impacted by God. In fact, you can tell when someone has been intimate with God because I'm convinced that thankful people are joyful. I'm convinced of that. Thankful people are joyful. Joy is the outgrowth of a thankful heart. The reason there's little thanks in the heart of the believer is likely because there's little gratitude on their part. It's like the old hymn writer said, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, say it with me. There's like four of you that know that song. There you go. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Listen to this, and it'll surprise you what the Lord has done. When you strictly look ahead on what's facing you after this holiday, I'd imagine it's a bit overwhelming. 
But before you do that, take time to thank the Lord for the good things of this past year. Take time to give God thanks for all that he's done. Thankful people are joyful, but I also think thankful people, and verse number two, are serving people. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. When you're thankful, Christ's love and God's goodness, uh, when you're thankful for Christ's love and God's goodness, you serve him. You give your life to him because you're thankful for who he is and you're thankful for all that he's done. You, you look at verse number five where it says the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so we find this sense of in our life that we want to serve this God that has been so good to us. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. The word there controls, <clears throat> the, the, the original language essentially means this. Paul is saying that God's God's love, it presses down on me on every side. I'm just, I'm moved by. I'm motivated by. I'm compelled by the love of God to serve. For the love of Christ constrains us. It controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So if, if you're truly worshiping with thankfulness, you'll serve with gladness. Thankfulness is the motivation to serve. You see, we find ourselves serving and worshiping God when we're grateful. Ungrateful people aren't serving. Ungrateful people aren't living their life for Jesus Christ. Ungrateful people aren't concerned about the needs and the plights of others. For many, we find gratitude in an all-time low in recent days. Many are fatigued. But I believe the thankful people are serving people. And then in verse 2, the second part of that verse, thankful people sing... Sing his praise. It goes on in verse 2. It says, Come into his presence with singing. Thankful people are a singing people. Can I get an amen on that today? Thankful people are a singing people. You know, one of the things that I love about my wife, and there's a lot of things that I love about her, but one of the things that I love is she's always walking around and singing and listening to music that stirs her heart and reminds her of God's goodness. And I don't know. I mean, when I, when I was in college, my roommate, my wife and I were going to do an internship together at the church that I grew up in, and we weren't dating at the time. But my wife has four sisters, all one year apart, and they were pretty well known around campus, and they were the happiest people that you had ever met in your entire life. It was almost obnoxious how happy they were, all of them. My roommate said to me, he says, you're going to end up marrying her. I said, I'll never date or marry a Humbert. He says, why not? I said, they're too happy. It can't be real. If you've ever been around my wife, you know that she has a joyful spirit. Even on the hardest days, she has a love for God and a desire to make other people happy. And that just doesn't happen. But I believe that a joyful people, a thankful people, sing His praise. I love that old hymn. We sang it in Wales last week. It says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. The men, I, I want to say a word to the men in our church for a moment. I know for a lot of men, they don't like to sing out loud. You know what? You need to get over that. You really do. Amen. Our kids and our grandchildren, they need to see men that are going to sing the songs of loudest praise to the God of heaven. With all that's going on in our world today, we need men and women who will set an example for our young people to lift up their voices to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. God help us to be a singing people, privately, 
corporately. We have something to sing about. We have something to praise and, and be grateful for. So giving thanks reflects this inner attitude, but, but it also represents an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. In verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. The center of this entire text is found in verse 3. In the center of all of this, it's about knowing God intimately and personally, and, and, and grateful people, happy people, listen to this, are, are people who know God. And I, and I know you guys are probably getting tired of me saying this over and over again, but most of us don't really know God. We're, we're experts at knowing things in the Bible, but we're novices at being a friend of Jesus. Augustine said it this way. He said, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And I find myself being restless and unsettled so often. And in those moments when I find myself being restless and unsettled, it's mostly because my heart is not resting in the God of this universe. So he says in the text, verse number three, know that the Lord is God. What does this mean? Now listen, it's very disconcerting how little we know about God. I believe that we live in one of the most biblical, illiterate times in human history. We just don't know our Bibles. Most of us know enough to impress others, and we speak about our knowledge of Him, but unfortunately, we lack actual intimacy with God. We lack a genuine knowledge of God. And the most telling marker of our relationship and understanding of God is our prayer life. Whether or not we pray and talk to God, and, and it, ought to, it ought to bother us if we miss a day reading the Bible, or if we miss a day spending time alone with God in prayer, and walking with Him, and talking with Him, and knowing who He is, drawing closer to Him. Many Christians know the cliches, they know the platitudes, but they really do not have an intimacy with the Lord, and it shows. It shows mostly in our lack of gratitude towards God Himself. In this text, he says, know that the Lord, he is God. Now, this word Lord, it's capital L in your Bible. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's Yahweh. It's his proper name. In fact, in the Old Testament or in the, in the early days of the scriptures, what they would do is they, whenever they would go and they would write the name Yahweh, they would go and wash their hands and use a different pen. It was a, it was a sacred name. And so whenever they would write Yahweh, they would take very careful measures just in writing the name Lord, Yahweh. And what it means is, is that He's the self-existing eternal God. He is completely whole within Himself, and He is eternal. He, 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 he has always existed, and He always will. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. And God stands alone and needing nothing, and He is wholly sufficient within Himself. Can I get an amen today? Amen? That's our God. That's who we're here to worship today. Four times the writer describes God as Lord. It's his most revered name. The most powerful human on earth is still at the mercy of God for his health and his fortune. God alone is sovereign, and he rules and he reigns, and he's supreme. But then he, he uses the word, the Lord, he is God. And, and that word God here is Elohim. It means he's the supreme one. He's the mighty one. He alone is the true God. 
No other gods compare to our God. No other God has the power that our God has. No other God uh, can do what God can do. He is supreme. He's the mighty one. He's almighty God and there's no one and there's nothing that compares to our God. Amen? Nothing. Nothing compares to our God. And then he goes on in the text. He says that, that he is the shepherd and we are his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture and we are his people and he watches over us. I, I don't know what you brought in terms of a burden today, but that's good news. He watches over us. He guides us. He protects us. He provides for our need. You might say, well, you know, Pastor Jason, I, I don't feel very protected right now. We, we need to remember that nothing can touch us that isn't for our good and for God's glory. Now, that might sound like a, a cliche, but I want to say this. Life is extremely hard. Right? Amen? Life can be hard. It can knock you off your, uh, off your back. Life is hard. And when you're suffering, there's a sovereign God who wants to sustain us. And He is here this morning as Yahweh. He's here as Elohim. He's here as the, the shepherd. And He's here to sustain us and to strengthen us in our weakness, in our pain. And that's why Paul could say, I would, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ could rest upon me. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, he says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I want to remind you that, that who God is takes us further than what God can do. we got to diligently seek to know the Lord. And knowing God, walking with God, knowing that He's Yahweh, knowing that He is Elohim, knowing that He is the shepherd of our lives can do far more for us than anything He actually does. Someone said it this way, knowing God is crucially important for the living of our lives. Now when I struggle with life and when I struggle with being thankful, and I think this is true of many of us today, when we struggle, we want relief. We just want, we just, we just want, to, we want reprieve from the pain. We want, we want reprieve from the, the hurt. We just, we just want relief. And often I, I try to find that in unhealthy ways. But I find it comforting to know that God is watching over me. Do you? I find it comforting that God is watching over me and my family and my life in ways that I cannot even comprehend. You see, God right now is working in your life in a thousand different ways. Right now, in this moment, God is working in your life in a thousand different ways. And you might be only aware of one or two. He's at work. This should encourage us to trust God and find joy in the darkest of circumstances, in the darkest of days, because we worship a God that never sleeps and He never slumbers. You know, God never gets tired. He doesn't take a nap. He doesn't have His feet up on the desk, twiddling His thumbs, pacing the office, uh, trying to figure out what to do. He is Yahweh. Yahweh. An attitude of joy is a result of our thanksgiving to God, and we should not base our attitude on our circumstances. Because our attitudes change. Our circumstances change. When we base our attitude on the one who is unchanging, our joy will be consistent. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you know God in this way? Does His character shape your heart and life? I, I want to ask you this morning, do you ever just pause and say, man, God is good. 
You ever just stop and say that? Maybe when you look at your spouse and you share an intimate moment with them, you just sit there and say, man, God is good. When you look at your children, when you wake up in the morning, when you enjoy a wonderful meal, how about this, when you pull into your driveway? Derek made me throw this one in there, but if you're on your kayak on the river enjoying God's creation, when you go on vacation or a weekend away, or when you're caught up in a moment of worship, do you ever just stop and pause and say, man, God is good. My wife's grandfather said the, 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 the richest man in all the world is the man that has his health and he doesn't even know it. Do you ever just thank God that you're healthy? Francis Chan said this. He says, the point is not to completely understand God, but to worship him. We, 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 we seek to understand God, but there is a mystery to God that we just need to get comfortable with. He says, man, the point is not to completely understand God, but to worship Him and let the very fact that you cannot know Him fully lead you to praise Him for His infinite, for His infiniteness and grandeur. Can I ask you this morning, is that our heart? Do we just want to know Him, to love Him, to sit at His feet? To know Him as Yahweh, to know Him as Elohim, to know Him as our shepherd, our father, and our friend, our redeemer, and our refuge, our strong tower? Is this the guide that we know? The last thought is this, and we find this in verse number four. It releases action into our worship. Giving thanks releases action into our worship. God's people are to be a people of worship. I find it funny Americans are, 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 they strike me in so many ways because we have no problem going to a Kansas City Chiefs game or a Kansas City Royals game or Cardinals game and, and dressing up, wearing the shirts, painting our faces. And, you know, I'm sure some of you take your shirts off and paint your bellies, you know, and do all that weird stuff. And you get ramped up for that stuff, right? And, you know, that's just another form of worship and praise. You're praising those athletes on the field. You're worshiping the talent that they have. And we have no problem coming into a moment like that and yelling and screaming and, 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 and giving it our all to root on our team. Now, when I was in Wales this past week, they have um, uh, uh, not football, but uh, rugby. They have a big rugby team there, and it's a big deal. And about midway through the game, I think at halftime, they actually play this old Welsh hymn. And the, the stadium there in Cardiff, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, has, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people that come to the stadium. And all these drunk Welsh people are singing this hymn, and they have no idea about what they're singing. And I find it fascinating that God's people are not a singing people. We're not a grateful people. We're really not a worshiping people. On a lot of Sunday mornings when I come in and I'm, I'm greeting people and I'm saying hello to folks, I walk into the room and I can hear very little singing in the back. And I'm not, I'm not mad at you if you sit in the back. We're just going to start charging more for those seats, right? That's not the point. But, but could we grow? And could we not move the needle a bit and become a more worshipful, more grateful, more singing, more praise-filled people? A people who are truly caught up in the transcendency of the Almighty because when we've been impacted by God and who He is and His unchanging love for us, it impacts every area of our life. And so he says in verse number four, enter His gates with thanksgiving. 
Many years ago, I was in a, a meeting with Tom Wagner. He's preached in our church here before. And Tom said, he goes, every morning I get up and I start my prayer time with thanksgiving. And I, I, it's probably because I'm type A, but I have a prayer list. And on the first page of my prayer list is all the things that I'm thankful for. And every morning I get up and I say, God, the first thing, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for saving my wife and my two baby girls. Lord, help me to never take for granted the salvation that you've given to me. God, thank you for your loving sovereignty. God, I am so thankful that you're in control of every area of my life. And God, thank you for your providence that when things feel like they're out of control, you work all things together for good. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you that, that you take our sins as far as the east is from the west. And, and, and for about 10 or 15 minutes, I'm just sitting there thanking God. And if you don't think that God is attracted to the praise of his people, spend a few minutes just every morning as you step into your moment with God, thanking him for who he is and what he's done in your life. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 95.2 says this, Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. I believe this, and I hope you'd write this down this morning, but God is attracted to the praise of His people. God is attracted to the praise of His people. You want God's presence in your life? Start thanking God. You want God's power in your life? Start thanking God. You want to see God move and work in your life? Start thanking God. Stop complaining and grumbling. It's a repellent to God. And then he goes on to say, he doubles down and he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and be thankful unto him. That's easy to question God, but we're called to thank him for his goodness. I want to ask you again, have you stopped recently and just paused and said thank you? It's a part of worship that I imagine that we all neglect and we're good at asking. We're really good at asking God for things. I, you know, kids are like that. They're good at asking for stuff, horrible at giving you thanks for it, Right? And I don't know that we're much better than our kids. So this morning, as we close out this service, I want to ask you today, what are some action steps that you could take this week? What are some things that you could, as we step into a week of Thanksgiving, and we're going to, we're going to uh, talk about Psalm 34 next Sunday, but as we step into this week of Thanksgiving, what would it look like for you to reflect an inner attitude of thank thankfulness? What would it look like for you to, to, to understand the sovereignty of God, to know God, to know that He is Yahweh, to know that He is Elohim, to know that He is the shepherd of your life? And what would it look like for you to be a worshiping people, a worshiping person, a worshiping follower of Jesus Christ? And I think this morning it would be incredible if we would just come to the altar and just start thanking God for who He is. Thanking God for our family, our wife, our spouse, our husband, our kids, our health our jobs. Thank God for our salvation. Thank God for being so good to us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I certainly know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know that I'm a follower of Christ. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I know that I'm right with God, and I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand and just let me see those today? <laughs> how many of you in here today would say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I don't know that if I were to slip out into eternity day, heaven would be my home. Would you lift your hand? 
You want it all. Thank you. I see that hand. Yes, ma'am. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I, man, I find myself grumbling a lot. I find myself being low on gratitude, high on grumbling. And I, I just don't want that to be a part of my life. Would you lift your hand and just let me pray with you this morning? Amen. Amen. Boy, hands all over the room. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just stand to your feet this morning? Father in heaven, I, I come to you this morning and I pray for our, our folks. I pray for my own life. God, that I would just lean into you and, and learn to live a life of thankfulness. That I would learn, Father, to look at who you are and what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish in my life rather than just the conveniences. Trying to make my life easier, my life better. God, you are so good in so many ways. And I just pray, Lord, today that we might see our hearts be transformed because we want to be a people of gratitude. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if God's spoken to you this morning, and you find yourself being more of a complainer, more of a grumbler, more so than a person of gratitude, a person filled with God's goodness and God's grace, may I just come down and confess that today? God, I'm sorry. I certainly don't want to take you for granted. I don't want to, I don't want to presume on God. And I would ask this morning that maybe you could come down here today and just say, God, thank you for being my God and my Savior, my Redeemer and my friend. Very, 